Alma chapter 8. We gain the impression from the opening part of this chapter that Alma had performed an extensive mission in Gideon before he returned to Zarahemla for a good rest. And now it came to pass that Alma returned from the land of Gideon, after having taught the people of Gideon many things which cannot be written, having established the order of the church according as he had before done in the land of Zarahemla. Yea, he returned to his own house at Zarahemla to rest himself from the labors which he had performed. And thus ended the ninth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. As we reflect on the events of the ninth year of the judges, we cannot help but be impressed by the phenomenal impact which Alma's reform movement had upon the Nephites. But after a brief rest, Alma is determined to make the tenth year just as fruitful. However, he would never have guessed what this tenth year had in store for him. And it came to pass in the commencement of the tenth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, that Alma departed from thence and took his journey over into the land of Melech, on the west of the river Sidon, on the west by the borders of the wilderness. And he began to teach the people in the land of Melech according to the holy order of God, by which he had been called. And he began to teach the people throughout all the land of Melech. And it came to pass that the people came to him throughout all the borders of the land which was by the wilderness side. And they were baptized throughout all the land. It was fortunate that Alma had the joy of seeing his reform movement flourish in the city of Melech and the surrounding area, because his next city was the worst concentration of evil and wickedness in the entire Nephite kingdom. So that when he had finished his work at Melech, he departed thence and traveled three days' journey on the north of the land of Melech, and he came to a city which was called Ammonihah. Now it was the custom of the people of Nephi to call their lands and their cities and their villages, yea, even all their small villages, after the name of him who first possessed them. And thus it was with the land of Ammonihah. And it came to pass that when Alma had come to the city of Ammonihah, he began to preach the word of God unto them. Now we see what a prophet does when he is rejected and feels helpless because he cannot fulfill his mission. Now Satan had gotten great hold upon the hearts of the people of the city of Ammonihah. Therefore they would not hearken unto the words of Alma. Nevertheless Alma labored much in the spirit, wrestling with God in mighty prayer, that he would pour out his spirit upon the people who were in the city, that he would also grant that he might baptize them unto repentance. But we also get the reaction of those who rejected his message. Nevertheless, they hardened their hearts, saying unto him, Behold, we know that thou art Alma, and we know that thou art high priest over the church which thou hast established in many parts of the land according to your tradition, and we are not of thy church, and we do not believe in such foolish traditions. And now we know that because we are not of thy church, we know that thou hast no power over us. And thou hast delivered up the judgment seat unto Nephiha. Therefore thou art not the chief judge over us. Now when the people had said this, and withstood all his words, and reviled him, and spit upon him, and caused that he should be cast out of their city, 
he departed thence and took his journey towards the city which was called Aaron. It is apparent that Alma felt a total sense of failure as he departed from Ammonihah and headed toward the city of Aaron. Little did he know that the Lord was sending a special angel to deliver to him a surprising message. And it came to pass that while he was journeying thither, being weighed down with sorrow, wading through much tribulation and anguish of soul, because of the wickedness of the people who were in the city of Ammonihah, it came to pass, while Alma was thus weighed down with sorrow, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him saying, Blessed art thou, Alma, therefore lift up thy head and rejoice, for thou hast great cause to rejoice, for thou hast been faithful in keeping the commandments of God from the time which thou receivedst thy first message from him. Behold, I am he that delivered it unto you. This must have been a great shock to Alma. Ten years earlier, this angel had appeared to Alma and the four sons of King Messiah. The powerful voice of this angel had knocked them to the ground twice, and the second time Alma had been left unconscious. When he came out of his coma three days later, he had completed a crash course in the spirit world and had learned to love and accept the Savior. That, of course, had changed everything. Now here he was ten years later and completely frustrated because he was prevented from preaching to the people of Ammonihah. But the angel delivered a surprising message to Alma. And behold, I am sent to command thee that thou return to the city of Ammonihah and preach again unto the people of the city. Yea, preach unto them. Yea, say unto them, except they repent, the Lord God will destroy them. For behold, they do study at this time that they may destroy the liberty of thy people. For thus saith the Lord, which is contrary to the statutes and judgments and commandments which he has given unto his people. Now it came to pass that after Alma had received his message from the angel of the Lord, he returned speedily to the land of Ammonihah, and he entered the city by another way, yea, by the way which is on the south of the city of Ammonihah. Not only did Alma return to the city of Ammonihah, but so did the angel. The angel appeared to one of the wicked, wealthy citizens of the city and prepared the way for Alma to teach the gospel to this man. And as he entered the city, he was unhungered. And he said to a man, Will ye give to an humble servant of God something to eat? And the man said unto him, I am a Nephite, and I know that thou art a holy prophet of God, for thou art the man whom an angel said in a vision, Thou shalt receive. Therefore go with me into my house, and I will impart unto thee of my food. And I know that thou wilt be a blessing unto me and my house. And it came to pass that the man received him into his house. And the man was called Amulek, and he brought forth bread and meat and set before Alma. And it came to pass that Alma ate bread and was filled. And he blessed Amulek and his house, and he gave thanks unto God. After he had eaten and strengthened himself, he began to tell Amulek who he was. And after he had eaten and was filled, he said unto Amulek, 
I am Alma, and am the high priest over the church of God throughout the land. And behold, I have been called to preach the word of God among all this people, according to the spirit of revelation and prophecy. And I was in this land, and they would not receive me, but they cast me out, and I was about to set my back towards this land forever. But behold, I have been commanded that I should turn again and prophesy unto this people, yea, and to testify against them concerning their iniquities. And now, Amulek, because thou hast fed me and taken me in, thou art blessed. For I was unhungered, for I had fasted many days. And Alma tarried many days with Amulek, before he began to preach unto the people. And it came to pass that the people did wax more gross in their iniquities. During the many days which Alma spent with the newly converted Amulek, he taught Amulek the milk of the gospel and a lot of the meat. This becomes apparent as the story unfolds. After all of this fundamental preparation, Amulek found himself being called on a mission just like Alma. And the word came to Alma, saying, Go, and also say unto my servant Amulek, Go forth and prophesy unto this people, saying, Repent ye, for thus saith the Lord, Except ye repent, I will visit this people in mine anger, yea, and I will not turn my fierce anger away. And Alma went forth, and also Amulek among the people, to declare the words of God unto them and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Beginning with verse 31, Mormon the historian explains that God has endowed these two great missionaries with special priesthood powers. Henceforth they cannot be confined in prison. They cannot be slain. However, Mormon warns us not to expect these men to demonstrate these powers until much later. It was almost as though this was too big a secret for Mormon to keep hidden. He had to tell us about this marvelous power that had been given to these two men, even though its manifestation would be withheld until the end of our story. And they had power given unto them, insomuch that they could not be confined in dungeons. Neither was it possible that any man could slay them. Nevertheless, they did not exercise their power until they were bound in bands and cast into prison. Now this was done that the Lord might show forth his power in them. And it came to pass that they went forth and began to preach and to prophesy unto the people, according to the spirit and power which the Lord had given them. Alma chapter 9. Mormon the historian states at the beginning of this chapter that he is going to quote the following sermons and historical facts directly from Alma's own record. Alma and Amulek stood before a crowd in this wicked city and almost immediately found themselves in the midst of a strong and bitter opposition. Alma states, And again, I, Alma, having been commanded of God that I should take Amulek and go forth and preach again unto this people, or the people who were in the city of Ammonihah. It came to pass, as I began to preach unto them, they began to contend with me, saying, Who art thou? Suppose ye that we shall believe the testimony of one man? 
although he should preach unto us that the earth should pass away. Now they understood not the words which they spake, for they knew not that the earth should pass away. And they said also, We will not believe thy words, if thou shouldst prophesy that this great city should be destroyed in one day. Now they knew not that God could do such marvelous works, for they were a hard-hearted and a stiff-necked people. Now for the second time they demanded more than one witness to sustain what Alma was saying. And they said, Who is God that sendeth no more authority than one man among this people, to declare unto them the truth of such great and marvelous things? They were about to seize Alma, but he boldly challenged them and said, And they stood forth to lay their hands on me, but behold, they did not. And I stood with boldness to declare unto them, yea, I did boldly testify unto them, saying, Behold, O ye wicked and perverse generation, how have ye forgotten the tradition of your fathers? Yea, how soon ye have forgotten the commandments of God. Do ye not remember that our father Lehi was brought out of Jerusalem by the hand of God? Do ye not remember that they were all led by him through the wilderness? And have ye forgotten so soon how many times he delivered our fathers out of the hands of their enemies, and preserved them from being destroyed even by the hands of their own brethren? Yea, and if it had not been for his matchless power, and his mercy, and his long-suffering towards us, we should unavoidably have been cut off from the face of the earth long before this period of time, and perhaps been consigned to a state of endless misery and woe. Having given the mob at Ammonihah fair warning, Alma laid on this wicked people the decision of the Lord to annihilate this whole city if they did not repent. Behold, now I say unto you that he commandeth you to repent, and except ye repent, ye can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. But behold, this is not all. He has commanded you to repent, or he will utterly destroy you from off the face of the earth. Yea, he will visit you in his anger, and in his fierce anger he will not turn away. Behold, do ye not remember the words which he spake unto Lehi, saying that, Inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land? And again it is said that, Inasmuch as ye will not keep my commandments, ye shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. Alma cites the teachings of Lehi, and gives the example of the Lamanites who have been cut off from the Lord. Now I would that ye should remember that inasmuch as the Lamanites have not kept the commandments of God, they have been cut off from the presence of the Lord. Now we see that the word of the Lord has been verified in this thing, and the Lamanites have been cut off from his presence from the beginning of their transgressions in the land. Nevertheless I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment than for you, if ye remain in your sins, Yea, and even more tolerable for them in this life than for you, except ye repent. Nevertheless, the Lord had given greater promises to the Lamanites than he had to the Nephites, if the highly favored Nephites did not repent. 
for there are many promises which are extended to the Lamanites, for it is because of the traditions of their fathers that cause them to remain in their state of ignorance. Therefore the Lord will be merciful unto them and prolong their existence in the land. And at some period of time they will be brought to believe in his word and to know of the incorrectness of the traditions of their fathers. And many of them will be saved, for the Lord will be merciful unto all who call on his name. But behold, I say unto you that if ye persist in your wickedness, that your days shall not be prolonged in the land, for the Lamanites shall be sent upon you. And if ye repent not, they shall come in a time when you know not, and ye shall be visited with utter destruction, and it shall be according to the fierce anger of the Lord. Notice that in verse 18, Alma pronounces the utter destruction of the city of Ammonihah for the second time if they do not repent. For he will not suffer you that ye shall live in your iniquities to destroy his people? I say unto you, Nay. He would rather suffer that the Lamanites might destroy all his people who are called the people of Nephi, if it were possible that they could fall into sins and transgressions, after having had so much light and so much knowledge given unto them of the Lord their God. Alma now lists some of the most important ways in which the Nephites have been favored by the Lord from generation to generation. Yea, after having been such a highly favored people of the Lord, yea, after having been favored above every other nation, kindred, tongue, or people, after having had all things made known unto them, according to their desires and their faith and prayers, of that which has been, and which is, and which is to come, having been visited by the Spirit of God, having conversed with angels, and having been spoken unto by the voice of the Lord, and having the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation and also many gifts, the gift of speaking with tongues and the gift of preaching and the gift of the Holy Ghost and the gift of translation. Yea, and after having been delivered of God out of the land of Jerusalem by the hand of the Lord, having been saved from famine and from sickness, and all manner of diseases of every kind, and they having waxed strong in battle, that they might not be destroyed, having been brought out of bondage time after time, and having been kept and preserved until now, and they have been prospered until they are rich in all manner of things. Alma also emphasizes how blessed their forefathers were in being taken out of Jerusalem, when Jerusalem had been warned that it was marked for destruction. And now behold, I say unto you, that if this people, who have received so many blessings from the hand of the Lord, should transgress contrary to the light and knowledge which they do have, I say unto you that if this be the case, that if they should fall into transgression, it would be far more tolerable for the Lamanites than for them. For behold, the promises of the Lord are extended to the Lamanites, but they are not unto you if ye transgress. For has not the Lord expressly promised and firmly decreed that if ye will rebel against him that ye shall utterly be destroyed from off the face of the earth? In verse 24, Alma proclaims for the third time 
that unless the people of Ammonihah repent, they will be utterly destroyed. And now for this cause, that ye may not be destroyed, the Lord has sent his angel to visit many of his people, declaring unto them that they must go forth and cry mightily unto this people, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is nigh at hand. And not many days hence, the Son of God shall come in his glory, and his glory shall be the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, equity, and truth, full of patience, mercy, and long-suffering, quick to hear the cries of his people, and to answer their prayers. And behold, he cometh to redeem those who will be baptized unto repentance through faith on his name. Therefore prepare ye the way of the Lord, for the time is at hand that all men shall reap a reward of their works according to that which they have been. If they have been righteous, they shall reap the salvation of their souls according to the power and deliverance of Jesus Christ. And if they have been evil, they shall reap the damnation of their souls according to the power and captivation of the devil. Now behold, this is the voice of the angel crying unto the people. Alma bears witness that this message was given to him by an angel of God. And now, my beloved brethren, for ye are my brethren, and ye ought to be beloved, and ye ought to bring forth works which are meet for repentance, seeing that your hearts have been grossly hardened against the word of God, and seeing that ye are a lost and a fallen people. Now it came to pass that when I, Alma, had spoken these words, behold, the people were wroth with me, because I said unto them that they were a hard-hearted and a stiff-necked people. And also because I said unto them that they were a lost and a fallen people, they were angry with me, and sought to lay their hands upon me, that they might cast me into prison. As Alma bore his testimony against their wickedness, the mob tried to surge forward and take Alma, but the Lord seems to have prevented it. Alma does not say just how. But it came to pass that the Lord did not suffer them that they should take me at that time and cast me into prison. Now a surprising thing happened. The mob thought Alma was alone, but suddenly Amulek stood up before them. And it came to pass that Amulek went and stood forth and began to preach unto them also. And now the words of Amulek are not all written. Nevertheless, a part of his words are written in this book. Alma chapter 10. It must have been a great shock to the mob in Ammonihah when one of their wealthy and formerly wicked fellow citizens stood up to defend Alma. Amulek launched into his talk by first reminding the people who he was. Now these are the words which Amulek preached unto the people who were in the land of Ammonihah, saying, I am Amulek. I am the son of Gedona, who was the son of Ishmael who was a descendant of Aminadi, And it was the same Aminadi who interpreted the writing which was upon the wall of the temple, which was written by the finger of God. And Aminadi was a descendant of Nephi, who was the son of Lehi, who came out of the land of Jerusalem, who was a descendant of Manasseh, who was the son of Joseph, who was sold into Egypt by the hands of his brethren. Notice that Amulek specifically states that those who descended from Nephi are through the loins of Manasseh. 
He was the eldest son of Joseph. Having established his credentials by way of his illustrious lineage, Amulek now reminds the crowd of his long-standing status as a citizen of Ammonihah. And behold, I am also a man of no small reputation among all those who know me. Yea, and behold, I have many kindreds and friends. And I have also acquired much riches by the hand of my industry. Mobs often try to discredit an opponent by citing the mistakes or sins of someone they oppose. Amulek determined to beat them to the punch by confessing his past sins and deficiencies. Nevertheless, after all this, I never have known much of the ways of the Lord and his mysteries and marvelous power. I said I never had known much of these things, but behold, I mistake. For I have seen much of his mysteries and his marvelous power. Yea, even in the preservation of the lives of this people. Nevertheless, I did harden my heart, for I was called many times, and I would not hear. Therefore I knew concerning these things, yet I would not know. Therefore I went on rebelling against God in the wickedness of my heart, even until the fourth day of the seventh month, which is in the tenth year of the reign of the judges. Amulek is now prepared to bear witness that an angel actually appeared unto him. He says, As I was journeying to see a very near kindred, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto me, and said, Amulek, return to thine own house, for thou shalt feed a prophet of the Lord, yea, a holy man, who is a chosen man of God. For he has fasted many days because of the sins of this people, and he is hungered and thou shalt receive him into thy house and feed him, and he shall bless thee and thy house. And the blessing of the Lord shall rest upon thee and thy house. And it came to pass that I obeyed the voice of the angel and returned towards my house. And as I was going thither, I found the man whom the angel said unto me, Thou shalt receive into thy house. And behold, it was this same man who has been speaking unto you concerning the things of God. And the angel said unto me, He is a holy man. Wherefore I know he is a holy man, because it was said by an angel of God. Having borne witness of his own encounter with an angel, Amulek wants to bear his testimony concerning the divine calling of Alma. And again, I know that the things whereof he hath testified are true. For behold, I say unto you that as the Lord liveth, even so has he sent his angel to make these things manifest unto me. And this he has done while this Alma hath dwelt at my house. For behold, he hath blessed mine house. He hath blessed me and my women and my children and my father and my kinsfolk, yea, even all my kindred hath he blessed, and the blessing of the Lord hath rested upon us according to the words which he spake. There is no doubt that Amulek has made a deep impression on most of the crowd. We read, And now, when Amulek had spoken these words, the people began to be astonished, seeing there was more than one witness who testified of the things whereof they were accused and also of the things which were to come according to the spirit of prophecy which was in them. Amulek would no doubt have had a lot of sympathetic listeners in this crowd if it had not been for the agitation of the lawyers. 
They were shrewd and rude and crude, and the record says, Nevertheless, there were some among them who thought to question them, that by their cunning devices they might catch them in their words, that they might find witness against them, that they might deliver them to their judges, that they might be judged according to the law, that they might be slain or cast into prison according to the crime which they could make appear or witness against them. Now it was those men who sought to destroy them who were lawyers, who were hired or appointed by the people to administer the law at their times of trials, or at the trials of the crimes of the people before the judges. Now these lawyers were learned in all the arts and cunning of the people, and this was to enable them that they might be skillful in their profession. And it came to pass that they began to question Amulek, that thereby they might make him cross his words, or contradict the words which he should speak. Now Amulek had an advantage over the lawyers. The Lord gave him the gift of being able to read their minds. This became apparent as the lawyers tried to embarrass Amulek. The record says, Now they knew not that Amulek could know of their designs. But it came to pass, as they began to question him, he perceived their thoughts, and he said unto them, O ye wicked and perverse generation, ye lawyers and hypocrites, for ye are laying the foundation of the devil, for ye are laying traps and snares to catch the holy ones of God. Ye are laying plans to pervert the ways of the righteous and bring down the wrath of God upon your heads, even to the utter destruction of this people. Yea, well did Mosiah say, who was our last king, when he was about to deliver up the kingdom, having no one to confer it upon, causing that this people should be governed by their own voices. Yea, well did he say that if the time should come, that the voice of this people should choose iniquity, that is, if the time should come that this people should fall into transgression, they would be ripe for destruction. Now Amulek proclaims the same message as that which they had previously heard from Alma. And now I say unto you, that well doth the Lord judge of your iniquities, well doth he cry unto this people by the voice of his angels, Repent ye, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yea, well doth he cry by the voice of his angels that, I will come down among my people with equity and justice in my hands. Sometimes the righteous are so overwhelmed by the wicked who are in the majority that they feel helpless because they don't think they count for much and are too few to make any changes. Amulek now reminds the wicked majority how important the righteous minority really are. Yea, and I say unto you, that if it were not for the prayers of the righteous who are now in the land, that ye would even now be visited with utter destruction. Yet it would not be by flood, as were the people in the days of Noah, but it would be by famine and by pestilence, and the sword. But it is by the prayers of the righteous that ye are spared. Now therefore, if ye will cast out the righteous from among you, then will not the Lord stay his hand. But in his fierce anger he will come out against you. Then ye shall be smitten by famine, and by pestilence, and by the sword. And the time is soon at hand, except ye repent. 
It is interesting that Amulek's arguments were so persuasive that the mob could only respond by accusing Amulek of committing treason against their laws and character assassination against their lawyers. And now it came to pass that the people were more angry with Amulek, and they cried out, saying, This man doth revile against our laws, which are just, and our wise lawyers, whom we have selected. But Amulek was not backing down. He said, But Amulek stretched forth his hand, and cried the mightier unto them, saying, O ye wicked and perverse generation! Why hath Satan got such great hold upon your hearts? Why will ye yield yourselves unto him, that he may have power over you to blind your eyes, that ye will not understand the words which are spoken according to their truth? For behold, have I testified against your law? Ye do not understand. Ye say that I have spoken against your law, but I have not. But I have spoken in favor of your law to your condemnation. And now behold, I say unto you, that the foundation of the destruction of this people is beginning to be laid by the unrighteousness of your lawyers and your judges. Now the crowd was in an uproar. And now it came to pass that when Amulek had spoken these words, the people cried out against him, saying, Now we know that this man is a child of the devil, for he hath lied unto us, for he hath spoken against our law. And now he says that he has not spoken against it. And again he has reviled against our lawyers and our judges. And it came to pass that the lawyers put it into their hearts that they should remember these things against him. We now come to an editorial comment in Alman's record, which sets the stage for the next several chapters. At this point, we are introduced to a wicked and conniving lawyer who is determined to snare Amulek and Alma with their words. And there was one among them whose name was Zizram. Now he was the foremost to accuse Amulek and Alma, he being one of the most expert among them, having much business to do among the people. Now the object of these lawyers was to get gain, and they got gain according to their employ. Alma chapter 11. This chapter contains some extremely interesting details concerning the law of God which King Mosiah gave to the Nephites in 91 B.C. These details are not found anywhere else in the Book of Mormon. Alma's record first describes the basis for the system of wages. Now it was in the law of Mosiah that every man who was a judge of the law or those who were appointed to be judges should receive wages according to the time which they labored to judge those who were brought before them to be judged. Alma then describes how the law was enforced. In addition to Alma's brief comments, we have a more detailed account in Exodus chapter 21. And Alma says, Now if a man owed another, and he would not pay that which he did owe, he was complained of to the judge, and the judge executed authority, and sent forth officers that the man should be brought before him. And he judged the man according to the law and the evidences which were brought against him. And thus the man was compelled to pay that which he owed, or be stripped, or be cast out from among the people as a thief and a robber. But how was a person forced out of the community 
if he was dishonest and wouldn't even try to pay his debts. The Bible says the judges would order him to leave the community, and if he tried to remain, it would be at the risk of his life. Of course, the offender could redeem his life by paying the debt. This is what Moses meant in Exodus chapter 21, verse 20, when he said, quote, If there be laid on him a sum of money, that is, for a debt or damages he had caused, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatever is laid upon him, unquote. In other words, the man either had to pay or leave the community to save his life. Of course, this extreme measure would only be used when all of the remedies had been tried without success. Forcing an offender to leave the community was a measure of last resort. When you stop to think about it, this was a most ingenious way to keep people honest. Now Alma gives us a complete account of their system of money. And the judge received for his wages according to his time a senine of gold for a day, or a senum of silver, which is equal to a senine of gold, and this is according to the law which was given. Now these are the names of the different pieces of their gold and of their silver according to their value. And the names are given by the Nephites, for they did not reckon after the manner of the Jews who were at Jerusalem. Neither did they measure after the manner of the Jews, but they altered their reckoning and their measure according to the minds and the circumstances of the people, in every generation, until the reign of the judges, they having been established by King Mosiah. Now the reckoning is thus, a senine of gold, a seon of gold, a shun of gold, and a limna of gold a senum of silver, an amnor of silver, an ezram of silver, and an ontai of silver. A senum of silver was equal to a senine of gold, and either for a measure of barley and also for a measure of every kind of grain. Now let us pause to consider what Alma said in verse 7. He declares that their system of money was not based on the value of gold or silver, but upon the value of grain. This meant that as the value of grain went up or down, depending upon the quantity available, the value of the money went up or down. So Nephite money was not based on a gold standard, but on a grain standard. To say it another way, the value of their money depended on the value of their food, which was primarily grain. Now the amount of a seon of gold was twice the value of a senine, and a shum of gold was twice the value of a seon and a limna of gold was the value of them all. And an amnor of silver was as great as two senums, and an ezram of silver was as great as four senums, and an ontai was as great as them all. Now this is the value of the lesser numbers of their reckoning. A shiblon is half of a senum, therefore a shiblon for half a measure of barley. And a shiblon is a half of a shiblon, and a leah is the half of a shiblum. Now this is their number according to their reckoning. Now an antion of gold is equal to three shiblons. Now Alma has explained the Nephite money system so we will understand how the lawyers stirred up contention so they could make more money. Now it was for the sole purpose to get gain because they received their wages according to their employ. Therefore they did stir up the people to riotings, 
and all manner of disturbances and wickedness, that they might have more employ, that they might get money according to the suits which were brought before them. Therefore they did stir up the people against Alma and Amulek. As the Ezram, which is sometimes pronounced Zizram, began to question Amulek, it was not only to get Alma and Amulek arrested, but to lay the foundation for the offering of a bribe. And this Zizram began to question Amulek, saying, Will ye answer me a few questions which I shall ask you? Now Zizram was a man who was expert in the devices of the devil, that he might destroy that which was good. Therefore he said unto Amulek, Will ye answer the questions which I shall put unto you? Nothing could have been more insulting to Amulek than to offer him money to deny God. Amulek was already a wealthy man in his own right, so money was not the issue. It was the insult of trying to get Amulek to deny the existence of God for money. Amulek was a new convert to the church who had had direct revelations from God, and when he was offered a bribe to deny God, his feelings really boiled over. And Amulek said unto him, Yea, if it be according to the Spirit of the Lord which is in me, for I shall say nothing which is contrary to the Spirit of the Lord. And Zizram said unto him, Behold, here are six onties of silver, and all these will I give thee, if thou wilt deny the existence of a supreme being. Now Amulek said, O thou child of hell, why tempt ye me? Knowest thou that the righteous yieldeth to no such temptations? Believest thou that there is no God? I say unto you, Nay, thou knowest that there is a God. But thou lovest that lucre more than him. And now thou hast lied before God unto me. Thou saidst unto me, Behold, these six antis, which are of great worth, I will give unto thee, when thou hadst it in thy heart to retain them from me. And it was only thy desire that I should deny the true and living God that thou mightst have cause to destroy me. And now behold, for this great evil thou shalt have thy reward. But the wily Zeezrom clung on to the argument like a bulldog. He ignored Amulek's rebuke and sarcastically continued his questioning. And Zeezrom said unto him, Thou sayest, There is a true and living God? And Amulek said, Yea, there is a true and living God. Now Zizrum said, Is there more than one God? And he answered, No. Now Zizrum said unto him again, How knowest thou these things? It is a favorite trick of atheists and cynics to ask this question of people when their spiritual experience can be made to look ridiculous in the eyes of an unbelieving audience. However, Amulek had seen an angelic being, and he was not ashamed to boldly answer Zeezrom's tricky question. And he said, An angel hath made them known unto me. Perhaps Zeezrom was expecting a lot of supporting jeering from the crowd, but apparently Amulek's bold answer didn't get the reaction Zeezrom was expecting. In any event, he quickly changed the subject and brought up something that the followers of Nehor would certainly strongly oppose, a prophecy concerning the coming of Christ. And Zizram said again, 
Who is he that shall come? Is it the Son of God? And he said unto him, Yea. And Zeezrom said again, Shall he save his people in their sins? And Amulek answered and said unto him, I say unto you, He shall not, for it is impossible for him to deny his word. Zeezrom thought he had caught Amulek in a trap, so he appealed to the crowd. Now Zeezrom said unto the people, See that ye remember these things. For he said, There is but one God, yet he saith that the Son of God shall come, but he shall not save his people, as though he had authority to command God. Amulek immediately challenged the conniving lawyer. When Zeezrom tried to accuse Amulek of presuming to command God, Amulek fired back at him a declaration of the true gospel doctrine, which Zeezrom was trying to mutilate and twist into a falsehood. Now Amulek saith again unto him, Behold, thou hast lied, for thou sayest that I spake as though I had authority to command God, because I said he shall not save his people in their sins. And I say unto you again that he cannot save them in their sins. For I cannot deny his word, and he hath said that no unclean thing can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Therefore how can ye be saved except ye inherit the kingdom of heaven? Therefore ye cannot be saved in your sins. Once again Zeezrom changed the subject. This Amulek was more clever than he thought, and so he pulled another of his trick questions out of the hat. Now Zeezrom saith again unto him, Is the Son of God the very eternal Father? And Amulek said unto him, Yea, he is the very eternal Father of heaven and of earth, and all things which in them are. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And he shall come into the world to redeem his people. And he shall take upon him the transgressions of those who believe on his name. And these are they that shall have eternal life, and salvation cometh to none else. Therefore the wicked remain, as though there had been no redemption made, except it be the loosing of the bands of death. For behold, the day cometh that all shall rise from the dead, and stand before God, and be judged according to their works. At this point Amulek could see that Zeezrom was becoming agitated and frustrated. None of his tricks were working. Amulek therefore decided to penetrate the mind of Zeezrom by sharing the entire load of Christian doctrine concerning the fate of the wicked and the judgments of God following the resurrection. So he boldly declared unto Zeezrom, Now there is a death which is called a temporal death, and the death of Christ shall loose the bands of this temporal death, that all shall be raised from this temporal death. The spirit and the body shall be reunited again in its perfect form. Both limb and joint shall be restored to its proper frame, even as we now are at this time. And we shall be brought to stand before God, knowing even as we know now, and have a bright recollection of all our guilt. Now this restoration shall come to all, both old and young, both bond and free, both male and female, both the wicked and the righteous. And even there shall not so much as a hair of their heads be lost. 
but everything shall be restored to its perfect frame, as it is now, or in the body, and shall be brought and be arraigned before the bar of Christ the Son, and God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, which is one eternal God, to be judged according to their works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. Now behold, I have spoken unto you concerning the death of the mortal body, and also concerning the resurrection of the mortal body. I say unto you that this mortal body is raised to an immortal body, that is, from death, even from the first death unto life, that they can die no more, their spirits uniting with their bodies, never to be divided, thus the whole becoming spiritual and immortal, that they can no more see corruption. The impact of Amulek's great preachment on the temporal death, the resurrection, and God's great judgment of the wicked finally got through to Zeezrom. The record of Alma states, Now when Amulek had finished these words, the people began again to be astonished, and also Zeezrom began to tremble. And thus ended the words of Amulek, or this is all that I have written. Alma chapter 12. All the time Amulek was bearing his testimony and certifying to the glorious revelation he had personally received, Alma was watching the crowd. It will be recalled from Alma chapter 9 verse 32 that this mob was about to seize Alma when Amulek intervened. It must have been gratifying to Alma to see the impact which the words of this new missionary companion were having on the apostate assembly. Now Alma, seeing that the words of Amulek had silenced Zeezrom, for he beheld that Amulek had caught him in his lying and deceiving to destroy him, and seeing that he began to tremble under a consciousness of his guilt, he opened his mouth and began to speak unto him, and to establish the words of Amulek and to explain things beyond, or to unfold the scriptures beyond that which Amulek had done. Now the words that Alma spake unto Zeezrom were heard by the people round about, for the multitude was great, and he spake on this wise. Before relating Alma's sermon, we note from verse 2 that a great crowd had assembled. This public debate between the famous Zeezrom and these two Christian missionaries was sensational. The huge crowd listened intently, as Alma said, Now, Zeezrom, seeing that thou hast been taken in thy lying and craftiness, for thou hast not lied unto men only, but thou hast lied unto God. For behold, he knows all thy thoughts, and thou seest that thy thoughts are made known unto us by his Spirit. And thou seest that we know that thy plan was a very subtle plan as to the subtlety of the devil, for to lie and to deceive this people that thou mightest set them against us to revile us and to cast us out. Now this was a plan of thine adversary, and he hath exercised his power in thee. Now I would that ye should remember that what I say unto thee, I say unto all. And behold, I say unto you all that this was a snare of the adversary, which he has laid to catch this people, that he might bring you into subjection unto him, that he might encircle you about with his chains, that he might chain you down to everlasting destruction, 
according to the power of his captivity. Alma's statement, addressed directly to Zeezrom, was like a two-edged sword in the lawyer's heart. It was apparent to Alma that the Spirit of God was testifying to this wicked lawyer that he was hearing the truth and everything these missionaries was telling him about the doom of the wicked was true. Now when Alma had spoken these words, Zeezrom began to tremble more exceedingly, for he was convinced more and more of the power of God. And he was also convinced that Alma and Amulek had a knowledge of him, for he was convinced that they knew the thoughts and intents of his heart. For power was given unto them that they might know of these things according to the spirit of prophecy. Earlier Zeezrom had been anxious to stir up this huge crowd against the missionaries. But now he ignored the crowd and started a two-way conversation with Alma to find out more about what he knew concerning the handiwork of God. And Zeezrom began to inquire of them diligently, that he might know more concerning the kingdom of God. And he said unto Alma, What does this mean which Amulek hath spoken concerning the resurrection of the dead? that all shall rise from the dead, both the just and the unjust, and are brought to stand before God to be judged according to their works. It is vividly apparent what was bothering Zeezrom. Amulek had frightened him by talking about the resurrection of the dead and the great last judgment when the wicked would have to account for all the evil they had done. And now Alma began to expound these things unto him, saying, it is given unto many to know the mysteries of God. Nevertheless, they are laid under a strict command that they shall not impart only according to the portion of his word which he doth grant unto the children of men according to the heed and diligence which they give unto him. And therefore, he that will harden his heart, the same receiveth the lesser portion of the word. And he that will not harden his heart, to him is given the greater portion of the word, until it is given unto him to know the mysteries of God, until he know them in full. And they that will harden their hearts, to them is given the lesser portion of the word, until they know nothing concerning his mysteries. And then they are taken captive by the devil and led by his will down to destruction. Now this is what is meant by the chains of hell. At this point Alma felt impressed to bear witness to Zeezrom that the words of Amulek concerning death and the future judgment were all true. And Amulek hath spoken plainly concerning death and being raised from this mortality to a state of immortality and being brought before the bar of God to be judged according to our works. Then if our hearts have been hardened, yea, if we have hardened our hearts against the word, insomuch that it has not been found in us. Then will our state be awful, for then we shall be condemned. For our words will condemn us, yea, all our works will condemn us. We shall not be found spotless, and our thoughts will also condemn us. And in this awful state we shall not dare to look up to our God. And we would fain be glad if we could command the rocks and the mountains to fall upon us to hide us from his presence. Alma's words had struck a telling blow in the mind of Zeezrom. He was alarmed by the words that when the judgment came, 
It would be so terrible for the wicked that they would be so terrified by the thought of facing God in judgment, they would want the mountains to cover them up. Alma says, But this cannot be. We must come forth and stand before him. In his glory, and in his power, and in his might, majesty, and dominion, and acknowledge to our everlasting shame that all his judgments are just, that he is just in all his works, and that he is merciful unto the children of men, and that he has all power to save every man that believeth on his name, and bringeth forth fruit meet for repentance. But it is not just God's judgment that will frighten the wicked. It is really the terrible punishment which they will have to endure. And now behold, I say unto you, Then cometh a death, even a second death, which is a spiritual death. Then is a time that whosoever dieth in his sins as to a temporal death shall also die a spiritual death. Yea, he shall die as to things pertaining unto righteousness. This verse talks about everlasting destruction and the torments that are like fire and brimstone. However, modern revelation has clarified these terms and explained that the place of punishment is eternal, but the unrepentant wicked only remain in this place until they have paid the uttermost farthing for the evil which they have done. They must satisfy the demands of justice. The scripture says that except for the sons of perdition, all mankind are ultimately redeemed, either by bringing their sins under the Savior's atonement or by suffering for their own sins to the uttermost farthing. This whole procedure is described by the Lord in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verses 36 to 39. Then is the time when their torments shall be as a lake of fire and brimstone, whose flame ascendeth up forever and ever. And then is the time that they shall be chained down to an everlasting destruction, according to the power and captivity of Satan, he having subjected them according to his will. Then I say unto you, they shall be as though there had been no redemption made. For they cannot be redeemed according to God's justice and they cannot die, seeing there is no more corruption. Now it came to pass that when Alma had made an end of speaking these words, the people began to be more astonished. Once the Ezram had broken the ice and asked some of the more difficult questions relating to the scriptures, another leader in Ammonihah thought he saw a contradiction between the words of Alma and the scriptures. This man's name was Antiona and he was one of the chief rulers of the city. He challenged Alma on this statement that after the resurrection mankind can never die. He said, But there was one Antiona, who was a chief ruler among them, came forth and said unto him, What is this that thou hast said that man should rise from the dead and be changed from this mortal to an immortal state that the soul can never die? What does the scripture mean which saith that God placed cherubim and a flaming sword on the east of the Garden of Eden, lest our first parents should enter and partake of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever? 
and thus we see that there was no possible chance that they should live forever. At this point it would appear that this man was sincere in asking this question. Alma therefore gave him the benefit of the doubt. Now Alma said unto him, This is the thing which I was about to explain. Now we see that Adam did fall by the partaking of the forbidden fruit according to the word of God. And thus we see that by his fall all mankind became a lost and fallen people. And now behold, I say unto you, that if it had been possible for Adam to have partaken of the fruit of the tree of life at that time, there would have been no death. And the word would have been void, making God a liar, for he said, If thou eat, thou shalt surely die. Alma next summarized the whole broad spectrum of God's plan for human salvation. And we see that death comes upon mankind, yea, the death, which has been spoken of by Amulek, which is the temporal death. Nevertheless, there was a space granted unto man in which he might repent. Therefore, this life became a probationary state, a time to prepare to meet God, a time to prepare for that endless state which has been spoken of by us, which is after the resurrection of the dead. Now, if it had not been for the plan of redemption, which was laid from the foundation of the world, there could have been no resurrection of the dead. But there was a plan of redemption laid, which shall bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, of which has been spoken. Apparently Alma felt he had given Antiona enough background of the redemption plan of the gospel so he could appreciate what a disaster it would have been if Adam and Eve had been allowed to partake of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever. And now behold, if it were possible that our first parents could have gone forth and partaken of the tree of life, they would have been forever miserable, having no preparatory state. And thus the plan of redemption would have been frustrated, and the word of God would have been void, taking none effect. Through God's intervention, the first parents were not allowed to partake of the tree of life, and they were therefore compelled to be tested during their earthly probation, and then stand before God at the time of the great judgment. But behold, it was not so. But it was appointed unto men that they must die, and after death they must come to judgment, even that same judgment of which we have spoken, which is the end. And after God had appointed that these things should come unto man, behold, then he saw that it was expedient that man should know concerning the things whereof he had appointed unto them. Therefore he sent angels to converse with them, who caused men to behold of his glory. And they began from that time forth to call on his name. Therefore God conversed with men, and made known unto them the plan of redemption, which had been prepared from the foundation of the world. And this he made known unto them according to their faith and repentance and their holy works. It is obvious that in order for God to enjoy the confidence of his children, he would need to explain to mankind the whole program for eternal progression and exaltation. Alma is anxious to have the people of Ammonihah understand why Alma and Amulek have come to share the great message of the gospel with them. Wherefore he gave commandments unto men, 
they having first transgressed the first commandments as to things which were temporal, and becoming as gods, knowing good from evil, placing themselves in a state to act, or being placed in a state to act according to their wills and pleasures, whether to do evil or to do good. Alma was leading up to his challenge to have the wicked people of the city repent, and let Alma and Amulek set up the great program of the church in their midst. He therefore continues his presentation of what it means to set up the church in their midst. Therefore God gave unto them commandments, after having made known unto them the plan of redemption, that they should not do evil, the penalty thereof being a second death, which was an everlasting death as to things pertaining unto righteousness, for on such the plan of redemption could have no power, for the works of justice could not be destroyed according to the supreme goodness of God. But God did call on men in the name of His Son, this being the plan of redemption which was laid, saying, If ye will repent and harden not your hearts, then will I have mercy upon you through mine only begotten Son, Therefore whosoever repenteth and hardeneth not his heart, he shall have claim on mercy through mine only begotten Son unto a remission of his sins, and these shall enter into my rest. These people also needed to know what to expect if they rejected this great opportunity to have the church set up in their midst and save the city from the destruction which would otherwise descend upon them. In verses 34 to 37, Alma describes what is necessary to enter into the rest of the Lord. And whosoever will harden his heart and will do iniquity, behold, I swear in my wrath that he shall not enter into my rest. And now, my brethren, behold, I say unto you, that if ye will harden your hearts, ye shall not enter into the rest of the Lord. Therefore your iniquity provoketh him, that he sendeth down his wrath upon you as in the first provocation, yea, according to his word in the last provocation as well as the first, to the everlasting destruction of your souls, therefore according to his word, unto the last death as well as the first. And now, my brethren, seeing we know these things, and they are true, let us repent and harden not our hearts, that we provoke not the Lord our God to pull down his wrath upon us in these his second commandments which he has given unto us. But let us enter into the rest of God, which is prepared according to his word. Notice that in verse 37, Alma refers to God's second commandments. He is talking about the law of Moses or the law of carnal commandments, which were given to Israel after they insulted God by worshiping a golden calf. Paul says in Galatians 3 and 19 that these second commandments were added because of transgression, so that Israel could survive as a people until the Savior was born in their midst. Now Alma is saying that if they continue to violate even these second commandments, they really can expect the wrath of God to be poured out upon them. If you liked this podcast and would like more materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find his other books and recordings at skousenlibrary.com or at your local LDS bookstore.